Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Roll for Persuasion, your nerdy show where I talk with nerdy people about the nerdy things they love. Today, I have a super nerdy person with me, which uh, I say every week because I'm pretty good at finding awesome nerds because they're they're everywhere and they're super cool. And we will get to him in just a moment. But before we do, as always, big thank you to sponsors of the show, Hero Forge, not just for bringing what I think is a very fun podcast to you, the listener, but for bringing awesome custom miniatures to your tabletop games. Uh, as you know, Hero Forge lets you go on and make almost anything. Uh, I say it every week because literally every week there is new content. Every Tuesday they drop new content, new options, new abilities, and things that you can do with your minis. So definitely go check them out. You can get your mini printed and shipped to you. They will print it in color and ship it to you, which I still don't fully understand how they do it, but they do it and it's super cool. You can even, if you have a 3D printer, you can get the STL file, print it yourself, paint yourself, do whatever you want. Their platform's amazing. They're great people, just truly fantastic awesome folks over there so go check them out heroforge.com at heroforge minis on their socials and thank you to them for supporting this show and of course as i mentioned nerdy person on a nerdy show very excited uh, to have my guest in here today um we're, we're going to talk about lots of things i'm looking forward to it but uh th- there's so much to talk about so excited to welcome in d'angelo murillo writer game designer professional dungeon master how's it going dude it's going well thank you for having me yeah, super, super glad to have you here. Like, I love talking with game designers and writers because there's always so much cool stuff to dig into. And like, it, it's a thing that I selfishly as a player of games, I get to enjoy uh, work from people like you. And then I don't have to put that work in myself. And so the <laughs> idea of like creating stuff out of nothing is just mind blowing to me. So I'm very excited to chat and uh, you know see what we get to talk about. Same. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, like, Admittedly, before um, the podcast started, you know, I admitted that I, I haven't listened to the the podcast uh, yet, but I looked at the huge list of all of the people you interviewed, and oh man, like you are an icon! Like right after this, I'm gonna binge a ton of episodes because, geez, I, f- I feel so honored to be here. Thank you again. Well, that, that's super kind of you. The I mean, the show title itself is like a tongue-in-cheek reference to the fact that when I started this, I had no idea how I was going to get anyone to say yes to be on the show. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people keep saying yes, and the more, more people that say yes, the more people say yes down the road. So it's kind of cool. Um, very much very much not my doing. It's just kind of fun how it's worked out. So I'm glad. I get to hear cool stories, which is what I love to do. I get to hear people's stories. So it's very fun for me. That's awesome. So I, I love talking with, uh, like I said, riders, but also pro dungeon masters, mm-hmm. um, because because again, like props to you uh, for, for getting paid uh, to some degree to do something that a lot of people like like do for free, and you should because yeah. like like people who put the time and effort and energy into facilitating a story for others, um, I cannot applaud them enough. But I'm curious, like how did you how did you kind of fall into that? Was it an intentional thing, or uh, was it just kind of a thing that naturally happened? Yeah, was it to uh, becoming a professional dungeon master or tabletop RPGs in general, uh, sort of thing? Let, let's say both. Like, what, what is both? the what okay. is the beginning of the whole story? Yeah, for sure. So the my origin story in the tabletop RPG scene um, is that I was 18 years old, a huge geek, loved anime and comic books and video games and all that sort of stuff. Um, and of course, like any nerd or geek, um, everyone knows that Dungeons and Dragons is the mecca, the like the the big daddy geeky thing that you see in all forms of media even back then you know now it's like more normalized in a lot of other content sure but um you know back then you still saw it like i think community was running at that time and they had an episode about it and a bunch of other ones uh but 
like I applied to various groups um, at my local game store and got rejected from all of them. Uh, and oh, wow. I was like, oh, my God, I am like, a, 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 I must be in a lower tier of geekdom because like I can't even get into a D&D group. Like that's how much of an outcast I am. So I got frustrated one day, took my whole like a grocery store courtesy clerk paycheck, which was like $100, and went to my local game store uh, and bought the Monster Manual, Dungeon Master's Guide and Player's Handbook for uh, Dungeons and Dragons 4th Edition, which just came out at the time uh, in back in 2008. And uh I grabbed those books and it was like a foreign language, like studied harder than uh, uh, learning those rules than I did for the SATs and all that kind of stuff at, at like high school and all that. But sure enough, I was able to gather enough information to be able to like run a couple sessions. And uh, I like because I was a geek, I knew other geeks and n- none of them had access to a dungeon master. So a lot of them flocked to me. And I made a lot and a lot of mistakes, you know, like railroading and like, you know, all this sort of stuff that are common mistakes and everything. Uh, but sure enough, like, despite the flaws, people kept coming back and I'm like, I'm sorry guys. You know, I, I wish I was better. If anyone wants to take the reins, you absolutely can. And they're like, no, we love it. Like, please continue. We're down for it. And I'm like, oh my God. And at that time it was uh, a huge awakening for me because it was one of the first times I was told that I was actually good at something. So I was like, mm, oh, yeah. I guess I'm a good, that like storytelling is, is something that I am actually, uh, decent at. So, um, to answer the second question. It honestly just started to uh, it's one of those things where if you try to do it, uh, it's it's not going to happen. But like if you just keep going with your passion and like, you know, uh, doing your you know good vibes and all that kind of stuff, then so like eventually opportunities will just come to you uh, because uh, suddenly like different companies start to reach out, reaching out to me and be like, hey, we love the way you perform for these different charity events that you organize or have been a part of, you know, would you be able to bring that, that sort of storytelling, uh, to our events to raise money for, you know, Jasper's game day or for wood warrior project and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, absolutely. And they're like, cool. What's your rate? And I was like, I have no idea. And then like, so then <laughs> yeah. that's a whole other thing, but you learn as you go and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, I guess I'm doing a good job cause they keep coming back, you know, for, for more. So it's, it's good. Yeah. That's awesome. What is it about storytelling in particular that uh, that really like clicks with you? I'm very passionate about my culture of being uh, of Mexican, you know, Mexican American uh, roots and all that kind of stuff. And um, I've loved Mexican folklore for a long time with uh, Day of the Dead and a bunch of other stuff. And you don't really get to see um, my culture properly represented in a lot of media. Um, what like even if we just look at the fantasy media, growing up and seeing like you know Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and all these different uh, forms of, of media, you rarely see a brown person. And if they are there, then they're the enemy. They're like you know you know and uh, right. and that like like sucks. That's like super wounding. You know, growing up, so you start having a weird perspective and self esteem issues and all that kind of stuff because of what media like is is showing to you and all that. That uh, someone like you with your skin tone uh, is not the hero. You can, at best, you're the villain or you're the, uh, like, the comic relief. And even if you're the villain, you're, like, the thug and not really actually the mastermind, you know, sort of thing. So it's all super weird. So when I got to take the reins as a storyteller, I was like, oh, cool. Well, this is my opportunity to uh, put women in power, make brown people and, like, people of color, you know, the heroes and, you know, judge people. All about judging people by the content of the character, not the color of their skin sort of thing. And that goes a step further when it comes to the realm of fantasy. Because the same thing with, like, you know, orcs are evil and elves are good sort of thing. Or the fair skin races are good. And anyone who doesn't have fair skin is kind of like the bad, you know, group and all that kind of stuff. So I, like, in fantasy, I also twisted that on its head to make, like, you know... 
uh, more of the orcs or tieflings or dragonborns or whatever, you know, other creatures to be more of the good um, sort of like uh, stalwart, you know, morally, you know, uh, strong sort of characters and uh, players actually started gravitating towards it. And I think that's what started the momentum was that even experienced uh, D&D players or tabletop RPG players would step into one of my sessions and be like, oh, my God, I've never experienced a session where we actually, you know, get to help the goblins. And the goblins are actually the people who are like morally just in this situation. And like, yeah, this is cool, you know, so uh, I love as a storyteller getting to bring those different perspectives uh, that people might not be used to and might not be aware that they're not used to because we're just so, you know. Uh, it's it's so common to just consume media as it's you know presented and all that. So um, yeah, that's my favorite thing about being a storyteller. Yeah, and like fantasy tropes and settings in general are also you know ninety nine point nine percent like Western European yeah mythos and imagery and all of that. And like like that's why I'm such a big fan of um, like the Isles of Sina Una. Yeah, it came out. Um, I think last year is when it came out. Um, that's like all like Filipino culture. And, yeah, and like there's so much like. I don't know. There's so much like great stuff outside of like white America and Europe um, yeah. that for all the reasons we could go into for hundreds of years have, have not been allowed to like flourish and be told and like integrated into media. And so um, that's really awesome. Do you, do you like to pull things from like, you know, like traditional like Mexican like mythos or, or whatnot, like into your games or do they influence any of your kind of storytelling or characters or any of that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Day of the Dead is such an amazing concept to me. And for anyone who's unaware, it's a holiday over in November. If you watch the film Coco, you know, you that explains a lot about it and everything. But essentially, uh, it's celebrating those who have passed away that that are our loved ones. You know, you you take the day um, to put the, the ofrenda, which is like a shrine dedicated to all those in who you've loved, whether it be your, uh, your sister, your parents, your grandparents, all that kind of stuff. And you put up their picture and get their favorite foods and drinks and head over to their grave if possible and then be able to celebrate with them, like share a meal with them. And their spirit comes back and gets to visit you and you just get to be together again. And for me, I always think that's so beautiful because uh, a, a lot of times in Western culture, we see death as like the end all be all and anything that returns from the dead is extremely evil and you have to murder it, you know. Uh, so it's, it's a beautiful concept that like, just be like, uh, just because someone you love dies doesn't mean they're gone forever and they can come back and it's, and it doesn't have to be so, uh, like crazy or nefarious or anything like that. So when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons, I always have like the, the realm between mortals and spirits are like sometimes a, a little bit thinner. That way you can see spirits and that they're not always evil. You know, sometimes it's just like, you know, hey, how's it going? And it's like, oh, uh, hi. And then like, you know, it's just a, you move on sort of thing. And that's a refreshing perspective that people aren't really used to, you know, experiencing. And uh, and yeah, and also necromancers don't have to be crazy evil, depending on how they get their dead and like, you know, what they do. But yeah, the supply chain is the real problem. It's not necessarily like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's where are you sourcing from? Yeah. Yeah. Ethical sourcing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's super cool. Do you ever get to play or are you like like lifelong DM now at this point? Um, majority of the time I am the dungeon master, uh, in a lot of, in a lot of games. Uh, however, rarely do I get to, to play. And when I do, I bring that same sort of like energy to, uh, my, my games. You know, I, I favor orcs a lot because orcs have always had like a bad stigma of being like these, uh, like dumb, brutish, you know, uh, kind of characters and all that. And then I try to bring uh, some more personality to them. Like, you know, yeah, it might be like you know, a fighter, but I also like, I'm trying to write a novel and like, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, 
And it's it's fun to do. And I bring a lot of uh, like Mesoamerican culture to it as well, like drawing from Aztec or Mayans or Incas um, to it. Uh, that way, their their aesthetic or even where they're from has a little bit more uh, culture than than what's people are used used to in in D and D or fantasy. Yeah. Speaking of, of kind of the, like that background and culture, can you tell me more about uh, your Emerald Templars project? Yeah, absolutely. So one of those situations, and I always do this with whatever project I'm in, is like, you know, how can I make a situation better? And it's like, well, like, I don't want to wait for someone else to do it because we might be waiting years. So I think I'll like uh, go ahead and try to, you know, create a project that satisfies this this need for representation in our fantasy, like, you know, community and all that. And that's what birthed sort of Emerald Templars and Emerald Templars uh, is a dark fantasy tabletop role playing game that I'm working on um, currently and it's going to go live on Kickstarter in like April 15th and it features a lot of nations that are inspired by different cultures that we're not used to and also that maybe miss or underrepresented in normal fantasy uh, media for example there's like south asian there's middle eastern there's african and then there's mesoamerican a lot of these four nations uh like again aren't really represented in the in the mainstream you know and if they are represented uh for example like for the yanti for example for a long time for dungeons and dragons was this like like race of like evil uh uh, snake people that would do ritual sacrifices and just like as a threat, you know, and if you look at their architecture and, and building structure of everything, it, it was very like Mayan and Aztec influenced uh, and all that. So those are one of the things we're trying to unroot with Emerald Templars. Uh, and the biggest way uh, to do that is by getting people from these cultures that the book is, is inspired by uh, to actually come and write and uh, have creative freedom to gush about what they love about their culture and even things that they kind of want to change, you know, about their culture. Uh, and then to, to make it this project, this passion project, uh, filled of like awesome, you know, monsters and folklore and world building and, uh, and, and more. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's really awesome. So is it a, is it, is it a full like role-playing game system or is it, is it used, um, is it like a, a setting to be used in a different system? Like, like how will people play it? Yeah, for sure. So um, it's actually a game system or game mechanics that I had created. Oh, very cool. Yeah, which is it used a percentile die um, so that, you know, that D10 that you see with like double digits and all that. Um, and then you just roll that and then look at your character sheet for any bonuses that you might have, like modifiers, and then uh, compare it to the difficulty check and then move forward. So it's uh, pretty straightforward, but there are unique mechanics in there. Um, one of which that I really love and, and has gotten a positive response from a lot of playtesters uh, is actually the, um, the the stress mechanic. So in Dungeons and & Dragons and a lot of other games that, that we sort of experience and play, um, our characters uh, have a health bar um, and then they go into the depths of like a dungeon and see like horrible images of you know brutal violence or like, you know, undead being raised or demons, you know, performing before you. And then they like, you know, kill a bunch of things and they walk out, no stress, no trauma whatsoever. And it's like, oh, cool. You know, that's fine. Um, and that's just like, you know, that's not really how life works sort of thing, which obviously it's a game. Uh, but I always thought about that concept of like, you know, how does my character like feel about, you know, going into the depths of the earth and like getting soup, like hit, like having his, his friends uh, flesh melted with acid. You know, that's that's probably not a great image to see. Sure. So yeah. Yeah, so in Emerald Templars, there's like stress uh, mechanics for there's your physical stress, uh, sanity stress, anxiety, anger, and exhaustion. 
um, that is makes a lot of things taxing in the game. Uh, where even like you swinging your sword to attack uh, is ex causes a little bit of exhaustion, and uh, as it builds, that way you have to like really maintain your character and take care of them to be like, all right, guys, you know, like I'm getting kind of stressed out here, especially with my anxiety. So I might need to, to, to chill out. My, you know, we might need to rest. And they're like, all right, sounds good. And uh, in the game, there are various characters with different trade skills that bring different things to the table. So you might have like, you know, a musician with you that is able to play some music uh, if the roles are good and be able to calm everyone down just a little bit so that you can continue. Or you can choose to be like, all right, let's go and pause re really quick and then uh, head back to town to get more supplies uh, because we're not doing so hot right now. And then that way it causes a little bit more pressure uh, onto them so they can't just murder hobo everyone. And uh, uh, yeah, so uh, thankfully I have a lot of playtests that are going on right now and the, the response has been very positive and it's been really cool because they love the roleplay aspect because it gives a lot of, you know, an outlet for roleplay to be like, you know, oh, I'm clearly... My anger is rising, so therefore I'm going to roleplay a little bit more, you know, angry and why and where does it stem from and all that. And it just organically builds roleplay, which is fun. Yeah. I love that. That's uh, and I talk about it on the show all the time, but that's one of the things I love about like Vampire the Masquerade. Is yes. That there is a mechanic for that uh, impacts roleplay. It's not just, oh, I used yeah. all my spell slots. Let's go to sleep and then I'll wake up and I'll be good again. It's like, OK, there's a give and take just like just like being alive like yeah certain effort has certain impact which then we need to address like i'm and hella so, hungry yeah right <laughs> I, I love the idea that you're, you're doing that not just with like stress as a general concept which uh, i think like blades in the dark does and, and some other games do it as a yeah. very like general thing but dialing in more and saying okay well what's the impact in these different areas you know like mentally yeah. physically that's super cool definitely inspired by like uh things like darkest dungeon you know um, getting to, you know, play these group of, like, adventuring party that goes into these horrible areas, and then you have to choose, like, you know, uh, if we're gonna have a heart attack, we don't back out, you know, and that's, like, like, you know, I genuinely care about these people, so it's kind of cool, yeah. What's the moment where you go from thinking, man, it'd be cool if blank existed, to, what if I did that, to, oh, shit, I'm doing that? So, uh, originally, when it came to Emerald Templars, it's been at the, the concept of Emerald Templars, which is simply that uh, an Emerald Templar is kind of like a magic police where they the world that they're living in has so much magic that anyone can wield it and in very chaotic ways. So they can accidentally open portals to another realm or like, you know, uh, summon the undead or uh, break someone's shatter someone's mind or your own mind and all that. Um, so the Emerald Templars are there as concerned citizens to just make sure that there's regulations uh, going on everywhere, which can be a like comforting and scary concept, depending on what kind of you know world you want to build and everything. Um, so that that concept, overarching concept, has been uh, there for a while. Uh, but then the game design aspect didn't really come until like about a year and a half ago, uh, when I was just like waiting for something to happen with the the industry to be able to bring proper representation. But it's been very slow, and there's like been barely any sort of progress, and. Uh, and I was just kind of like, you know what, I'll just make my own game. You know, I'll just like definitely do this. Uh, but it first started as like using a different system and then I was just going to put my world over it. But then after using that, it, it started to get to the point where like I had to completely shatter that system in order to build what I actually wanted to build. So instead of trying to mishmash something that's already created, I decided to just like build my own thing from the you know ground up. Um, to try to achieve what it was and it's been uh <laughs> it's been an experience because before i was like oh yeah this should be like easy it shouldn't be that bad but then after watching a lot of videos on game design and having a lot of play tests it's one of those things where like as a game designer 
you have to answer every single question a player, you know, presents to you. So it's like, you know, how do you handle underwater combat? And you're like, oh, my God. Uh, and then you have to, like, stop and think about how your system would accommodate that sort of thing. Uh, and then same with, like, you know, how do I counter someone who's trying to grapple me? And it's like, uh, and so it's like a lot of those little things that you got to uh, answer in certain ways. Um, and it's been a lot of fun, actually. It's been like uh, quite a bit of fun because every tabletop RPG that I've I've played from like Vampire the Masquerade to Dungeons and Dragons to like, you know, Fallout and all these different ones, they all have something that I really like, but a lot of things that I don't really like, um, whether it be the amount of depth or it, some things are too simple and all that. So this gives me an opportunity to be able to flesh it out the way that I like it. And uh, hopefully that resonates with other players as well as they... Uh, pick up something that's new and then get to you know uh, run with it and all that. So so let's let's do a little like kind of uh, role play if you will. Um, let's imagine that the Kickstarter is going has gone great. Which by the way, by the time people hear this, the Kickstarter will be live. Oh, look in the show no notes. <laughs> look in the show. Look in the show. Yeah, we're moving to the future right now. You and I are in a future where your Kickstarter is live. Uh, you can check your heart rate later and see how it jumped right there. Right. <laughs> but but imagine that. Um, and by the way, the links will be in the show notes. Please go check that. Go support uh, an awesome game. By the way, the artwork looks super cool. Some of the art that you've had done. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But imagine that. Like imagine it's gone well. It's done like as you hoped, better than you hoped. Is it a world that you want to keep building, expanding, like more rules, more settings? Or is it kind of like a self-contained, I want to do this thing, put it into the world and then go do a different thing? Yeah, it really depends on how people respond to the game because I acknowledge uh, now I like uh, tabletop RPGs isn't the only industry that I've been in. I've I'm also like a blogger and a, you know I've been in a bunch of other stuff. So I know that uh, the project that you're working on isn't going to be your end all be all. There will be more projects beyond this one, you know. And uh, even though this is you know I love this project and it's my heart and soul that's being poured into it. You know, I have to acknowledge that failure is like a, a potential. So people, you know, see this project and they're like, I'm not buying it. You know, I don't really uh, believe in the concept or X, Y, and Z, or I don't like how the game works or anything like that. Uh, there's a chance that people might actually like it could get super funded and then people like just don't play the game, which is like, you know, OK, I understand that. You know, I will go ahead and, and uh, you know, think of more projects to do like, you know, because I like as I consider myself to be what's called a hyper creative because uh, I have like ADHD and I like, you know, bounce off the walls with ideas a ton. And uh, and like so I have like ideas for, you know, superhero tabletop RPGs or like, you know, sci fi tabletop RPGs. So I have a lot of projects that I want to do, uh, but st still with like Emerald Templars, um, even if it's not super uh, like it doesn't have a good response to it. I I'm still going to work on it um, like a ton to be able to add more lore to it. Uh, because like right now at the very beginning for this core book, there's only so much money like in the budget uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm only having four nations inspired by, you know, South Asia and Africa and like the Middle East and Mesoamerica, which is a lot of like lore and world building and content. Um, and even though there's three writers, you know, uh, per nation, that's still like a lot they have to cover, you know. So uh, uh, for supplements, it, it would be adding in another sort of nation or, or part of the world that, that has more monsters, more folklore, more like, you know, spells and everything like that from like, you know, Pacific Islanders or for like, you know, uh, Native Americans and all that kind of stuff. Um, that way I could keep bringing in these different writers. And one of the things I love doing it from a business angle is being able to bring in these, these awesome, talented, hardworking 
indie writers and then giving them a published credit that way they can go on to bigger projects and move forward and be like yeah i'm you know i'm legit because i got you know worked on this project and i'm in a, a book and all that um and then they can like it helps like even the playing field for the writing industry from from then and all that kind of stuff so uh, even if it's like a failure i would still continue forward uh so as long as there's funding and be able to to continue to do it uh like all good vibes and all like like optimism positivity towards like it's gonna be knocked out of the park and like it's gonna thrive and get super funded and all that kind of stuff um but but yeah so i'm I'm very hopeful for the future and looking to work on more content for it uh if the people uh want it yeah I think that's a really like healthy approach. So, you know, yeah. tip the hat to you. And I, and I love that idea too, um, about helping uh, not just bringing in writers to like do your thing, but recognizing the ability to, to give them a byline, give them a credit. And yeah. cause that like means like so much in the industry because yeah. there's so many people who, who can tell great stories and then go to apply for stuff. And they're like, Oh, well, what have you shipped? Like, what, what do you actually have out there? Yeah. They're like, mm. it can make or break a contract. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, just like having those there means so much to people who are trying to, to come up. So having that in your head, that that's awesome. I think that's great. Has there been so far um, in the making of Emerald Templars, like a particular mechanic or piece of lore or, or maybe something that came out of playtesting that you're just like super, super stoked about and excited to like release into the world, like specifically in the game? Um, there's a couple of things. Uh, actually, there's you can't just things, say but... everything too. <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, no, no. It's 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 a few things because like, and I keep coming back to the major tabletop RPGs, which is probably going to come back to bite me. Uh, but like, um, whenever I would play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, as a dungeon master or a player, it would it always would feel so shallow because I was just this murder hobo with who had like might or magic that would go across the world and just like murder everything in my path. And, like, maybe there'd be dialogue and all that, but I wanted there to be more depth, you know? Like, I wanted my characters to, like, fall in love, have kids, you know, and then, like, all this sort of stuff, which, like, homebrew-wise, you can do that, you know, with the with your sessions and everything. Um, but it's also hard to, to have, like, mechanics for that, you know, uh, sort of thing. So, in Emerald Templar, is one of the things that I, I made sure to have, uh, which was actually due to playtesting, uh, was a, like, retirement system. So, what happens with... As an Emerald Templar, um, you get you join the faction by like you know one of three ways. Uh, one is you're oath bound, meaning that the Emerald Templar saved your community and they made an agreement that like we don't have any money to give you or anything else, but like every firstborn uh, child of every family will at least serve for a couple years in their Emerald Templars, so that you guys constantly have troops to be able to help out. And then another way is volunteer status, being like I'm in, I have a lot of student loan debt or I have a lot of like. You know, uh, like I want to become a politician, but I need renown. So therefore, I'm going to go ahead and serve for a number of years uh, in order to to obtain that. Or there's a, a conscript method where it's like, uh, which I, I got to change that word because that uh, that means you're they're forced to do it, but they're really not sure. forced to do it. But because um, they are someone like a criminal who committed a, a grievous act, and it was either like execution, exile, or joining the Emerald Templars to. Uh, to serve time to uh or, or even for your whole life depending on what you did and uh so those are like the major three ways you can join the faction um and then you can decide when your characters sort of had enough so if they go on a big adventure and they accomplish the goal and save their community from like a, a devastating threat they don't have to uh keep saying like yeah i'm gonna keep going till my body breaks down or i die you know they can be like well I have enough money to go and start my bakery, so therefore I'm going to go ahead and, and retire my character, you know. And as a player, I would love that opportunity uh, 
uh, because that feels like satisfying to actually have closure, like, you know, uh, so that way they don't die by a horrible, like, you know, zombie. They can actually, like, live a full life and be able to, you know, do this. But in this, this slice of life that, that we got to see, they, they did, you know, tremendous acts of, of uh, heroism and all that. And uh, and then, if, of course, if you want your characters to serve the Emerald Templars for the long run, you can see them grow and get more powerful and get more renowned. And uh, and and yeah, and then uh, and it's really cool. And the other thing I really like is the trade school aspect of Emerald Templars. So that way, like, and it, this is a stupid one, but like, one of the official like trade skills that you can have at, in as an Emerald Templar is to be an influencer. So you're literally like a content creator, you know, trying to get your name out there. Whether you're you know a musician or an artist or like you know uh, just like super beautiful or whatever, you can go and and do that. So that way, when you're not actively fighting, you know, uh, horrible mages or, you know, whatever else, uh, you can be in town and actually be able to um, do your side hustle and be able to get some money, more money for that and like get more renown. And then that's like a B plot for your character. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's like pretty cool concepts that, that I think are really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like the retirement, uh, like mechanic in particular. Cause I, I think yeah. that, because, you know, somebody would say, well, you can retire a character in D and D like, yeah, there are lots of things you can do, but sometimes having that, like knowing that there's a mechanic there, you're like, Oh, that feels, I don't have to put mental effort into that. That's a, that's a thing I know I can take my character to go and do. And there's yeah. kind of like a way it'll happen and it's very comfortable and easy. And so I think having those kind of like secondary additional mechanics are, I don't know, I think it's really helpful. It makes for a really fun game. Yeah, and then if you choose to to bring in another character, they would start where your character essentially like left off, uh, like you know, uh, experience wise. So that way you mm, okay. can build a character that's just as strong as the character that just retired, but it has a new story that you can explore and all that. So so you don't feel like you're losing the exactly. time progress you've put in. Yeah, yeah. Back to level one again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. What's been like the biggest surprise that's come out of playtesting? Like, oh, I you know I didn't think I was gonna have to address blank. Um, it would definitely be, uh, what you think in your mind, um, uh, what's going to be fun, uh, as opposed to what's actually fun, you know? Mm, so yeah, like I, know. I, yeah, so I've, I've, and the same thing as, as being a writer or any sort of creative, uh, where I'm like, oh, this one mechanic is going to be super cool and like, it's going to be great. And then sure enough, when they actually get to play it, they're like, oh, that's, that's all right. But like, the thing I really liked was this one thing you barely worked on. Can I see more of that? And it's just like, uh, and, uh, so it's good to, it's a healthy reminder, uh, of what people actually are drawn to, you know, cause like as one person, you don't, you don't know everything, you know? Uh, so it's good to have the feedback from other people to actually get to, uh, for them to point out what they actually really like. For example, in Emerald Templars, uh, I focus so much on like the um, stress mechanics, you know, and then people do enjoy that. But the thing that actually people are drawn to are the vice mechanics where every one of your characters has a series of vices like, you know, pride and like sloth and uh, envy and all that kind of stuff. And if you're playing the game, and you want to do more damage, like go above and beyond, or you you miss the target and want to hit the target, you can choose to tap into your vice to take additional stress in order to, like, you know, uh, dive into a bad aspect of yourself. So if you're very wrathful and have anger issues, that can make you hit harder. 
Um, and I like put that as an afterthought because one of the early play tests was like, you know, it's kind of hard to hit in this game. And I adjusted that. And that's no longer the case. But as a, a, like a, another mechanic to be able to help out with that was the, the vice system was created and I barely worked in it. But during all the play tests, they are so drawn to that system because it gives them an outlet to role play again. So like, you know, you see my character become extremely wrathful as they like scream at the top of their lungs that you've never seen them do before. And then they go and do this thing and, and everyone else like naturally rolls into it like, oh, yeah, I'm scared of him now. I try not to talk to him because yeah. he looks like, you know, and it just like is more organic the way that you know, role-playing is happening, and I'm just like, uh, damn. So, I, like, that just means more work that I have to do, which is fine, because if they like it, then I want to, you know, give it, give them what they want. But it's, uh, it's interesting, yeah, what actually people are interested in, as opposed to what you think they are, yeah. It's so, like, analogous to dungeon mastering, right? Like, oh, like, I prepared this whole thing, and I made this fun quest, and they're gonna love it, and they're gonna go on this adventure, and they're gonna solve this puzzle, and they're like, that doesn't look like nah. fun, but you tell me there's a bakery around the corner, tell me more about the bakery, and you're like, I didn't yeah. think anyone was going to go in the bakery. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I want to take a very quick moment to give a shout out to another supporter of the show. And that is my friends over at Die Hard Dice. Go check them out. DieHardDice.com. They're super cool. They have great dice. I think by now they actually have some really cool dice that just came out. If not, keep your eyes out because there's cool dice coming. Uh, but they have fantastic dice. They partner with people in the community to make custom dice for people's characters and their games. And they're just wonderful, wonderful people. So go to DieHardDice.com if you want dice and who doesn't want more dice you can use the code roll persuasion to save 10 percent uh you save a little bit it helps to show some and everybody rolls natural 20s or whatever the best role in your given game might be so go check them out dieharddice.com thank you to them for supporting this show i'm curious like like total shift what do you do to like de-stress like like if you've been riding like it's a long day like what do you do for fun like what, what's a how do you get out and, and lower your stress level uh, there's a few things, one of which is to um, actually play Apex Legends, which I play it way mm. too much. Uh, I am um, so bad at that game. <laughs> it's okay. Like the first like 800 hours, I was also bad at the game. But the, the these these recent 200 hours have been really great. So um, just a little bit of a learning curve. But it's been, it's been really good. So I like, again, I have ADHD and I have a lot of anxiety. So whenever... Um, it, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, it's like, man, I don't know how to handle this, this, uh, situation in this game, huh? I'll play Apex Legends. Or it's like, I have to write this tweet, but I don't quite know how to word it. I'll play Apex Legends to think about it, you know? And then like, it just continues to happen and happen and happen, uh, to the point where, but it, but it does help, you know? Cause like through doing these sort of things, we're playing games. Another one is like Dark Souls recently, uh, because I have Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, and Dark Souls 3. And right now, Elden Ring just came out, and everyone's, like, losing their mind over it. And naturally, I want to play it, too. But uh, I haven't even beat any of the other games. So I was like, all right, before I spend another $60 on this game, I got to, like, try to beat at least one of them. So I've been currently bouncing between Apex Legends and Dark Souls uh, 2, which has been a great um, experience. Because now that I'm becoming a game designer... And actually looking at other games in a more critical way, being like, why is this fun? Like, what about this game actually makes you have fun, you know? And for Apex Legends, it's the snappiness. You know, you get into a match, you grab a gun, you shoot at other players, you and there's ways to improve. But that's like the, 
you know, sort of core mechanics. And then like for Dark Souls, it's the threat of this looming, hard hitting boss that's really grotesque. And you have to like suffer a lot of defeats before you can actually beat him. And because you were able to to do that work and beat him, the rest of the game gets a little bit easier because you're more skilled and hardened and aware of your surroundings. You know, it's like, uh, and it's like, huh, I kind of want to add that to my games. And then like, you know, I just like take notes and bring it in. Uh, so even though I try to step away from work, work is always sort of going on in the back of my mind, but sure, yeah, definitely video games is a huge component. Other than that, like anime, like, uh, it's, it's like always super fun to, to sit back and just watch, uh, um, a great show, uh, and like Demon Slayer, you know, or My Hero Academia or anything like that. Yeah. Was Apex like your first battle royale or is that a, a genre that you already enjoyed playing before it came out? Uh, PUBG was the first one and I didn't really like it too much. It was like, all right. And then I went to Fortnite and it was a little too wacky, especially with the base building like aspect. And then I went to Spellbreak, I think it's called. And that was kind of cool. But I keep coming back to Apex Legends. One is their representation. It's like super, super awesome to see like all these diverse characters and their voice actors and and, uh, the amount of content and and games, you know, uh, or modes that they have for it. Um, it just brings me back uh, again and and seeing myself improve uh, as well was really, really cool. Um, I could stay on there for hours. Doesn't mean we're getting a lot of wins, but like I could still go into a billion matches and have fun. Yeah, it's good. So the secret is practice. So I just need to like <laughs> spend time instead of booting it up and going, oh man, I died again. Although one time I did have some really spectacular teammates and they just carried me the whole time. Literally, because exactly, they just yeah. carried my, like I died and they carried my, my flag or whatever to the end and they played great. So I was like, maybe I could be like that someday. Yeah. So one of the things that, that actually like, it's a whole ritual to the point where I have to, uh, like when I'm going to play Apex Legends, I got to take off my watch. You know, I've got to spend like 10 minutes on aim labs and like play it. I have to look at TikTok for like Apex TikTok and everything. And then I sit down and then sure enough, I like go into it and I have to play a couple warm up matches and then I get into to rank. Doesn't mean I'm uh, good by any means, but like it's a whole thing. But it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's good. Are you playing like PC or console? Uh, PC for sure. I'm a whole PC gamer. I do love the Xbox, but but PC is where my heart is. Yeah, I think that's part of my problem, too, is I probably just need to play on PC instead of playing on my PlayStation because uh, <laughs> that would probably make a difference for me. But maybe one of these days you can carry me in Apex. Maybe that's oh, really, there you go. That's Anytime. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, which is funny because like a uh, small side story. I love Apex so much. I try to push it on my wife and my stepson. And uh, obviously my stepson is like way more into it than my wife is. But both of them for a season were trying to get into the game. Uh, and it, it ended up being that my stepson, who's seven years old, it was six at the time, uh, got two kills and my wife had zero. So she was like, she hated the game after that, uninstalled it immediately. And, uh, she, he will not let her live it down. So it's like so funny. The only game that my wife is really into is Grand Theft Auto. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just, we've, we've been seeing here just waiting. Maybe someday Grand Theft Auto six will come out or yet another expansion <laughs> to Grand Theft Auto online, but I think right? they yeah, actually exactly. just announced that they're working on the next one. So in about 12 years, yeah, we'll finally I think get they just it, yeah. announced that they're re-releasing five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so. yeah, yet again they're re-releasing yeah. five. But I, yeah, I think they, I think they tweeted a couple weeks ago that it's coming out. So I was like, hey, that game that we've been playing literally the entirety of our marriage for almost a decade, they might make a sequel. <laughs> so good. Same with yeah. Skyrim. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Well, dude, thanks so much for joining. Uh, it, it was fun to chat, and I am I'm legit very excited. At this point, I will have backed your Kickstarter because we're in the future Thank you. right I now. Thank you, appreciate that. Yeah, um, and I hope that you, all the listeners, will go and check out an awesome Kickstarter too. Because the way that we get more games in the industry is by supporting creatives, and the way that we tell better stories is by supporting diverse voices. So we don't hear the same crap over and over. And so, go out and do that, and do it on this project. I am personally endorsing it for whatever that's worth, but, uh, but definitely <laughs> check you, it yeah. out. And D'Angelo, where can people find you? Uh, if they want to hear more about the game, obviously Kickstarter link is in the notes, but if they want to check out what you're doing on the internet. Yeah. You can find me on all social medias at that underscore D'Angelo, even though there's a link in the show notes. Yeah. If you go to my Twitter bio, you can click the link for the link tree or whatever, and then see it there. Um, I'm like an open book. So if anyone is very interested, has any questions, feel free to reach out. And I'm always down to, to chat about whether it be game design, Emerald Templar specifically or whatever, you know, um, like I'm always about homies helping homies. So just uh, whatever people need. Yeah. Excellent. So make sure you go and do that. Check it out. And, uh, in, in a few minutes, as those of you who listen to the show know, we'll be getting into the zone of truth, which is the Patreon only bonus segment. Uh, where I chat with my guests about whatever we feel like. What are they into? What do they enjoy? We kind of did that a bit with Apex. We can't use Apex, but uh, what else <laughs> What else do you really enjoy or, or are you curious or interested about that you would, uh, you'd you like to chat about for 10, 15 minutes? Uh, there's there's a lot. Um, there's, there's anime. There's uh, sci-fi, fantasy in general. Um, I'll leave it over to you. Like, what, what do you, whatever you think is, is interesting. Yeah. I always like talking with people about anime because yeah. I do not watch anime and I've had so many people oh, tell me to yeah. give their recommendations. So at this point, I'm just building up a notebook of they said to watch this. They said to watch this. Yeah. And then someday when I have time, I will sit down and I will watch it. But I'm always looking for more, uh, you know, hearing what people love about it. So, so I, I'm down for anime. Let's do that. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, if you support the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, you will get access not only to this bonus segment in your Patreon exclusive podcast feed, but all of my prior guests, uh, 50 or 60 at this point, um, bonus content episodes, which I don't know, do the math. That's hours, hours of bonus content. You can go check out fun conversations like we're about to have. So please go check that out. Patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. You can uh, keep up to date with the show by following me on Twitter or Instagram at Roll Persuasion on both of those platforms. Go to RollPersuasion.com for essentially the same content, but on a website. And uh, yeah, and of course, if you're on an Apple device or Spotify, you can rate on Spotify now. Leave a review, leave a rating. Uh, it helps me combat the algorithm to share these fun stories with more people. So if you enjoy the show, let people know I appreciate it very much. And until next time, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.